seated, I want to invite you to flip uh, in your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to be continuing tonight in that book. We're actually going to be in the, in the second chapter of Revelation tonight, but before we got to get there, I, before we get there, I just, just got to be honest, my, my stomach's growling a little bit. I forgot to eat. In fact, actually purposely didn't eat because I want I wanted to try this tonight. I want to. I want to try this. This. This thing. I've been thinking about it all week. I don't know if it's possible, but I definitely want to give it a shot here on stage. Now I didn't eat dinner. I promise. Like you know, nobody told me dinner. I skipped dinner on purpose. I am a little bit hungry. And, and here's what I want to try to do. I want to try. Don't make fun of me. To put some pictures on the screen, and I just need complete silence. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at those pictures. I'm just going to focus on those pictures. I'm going to flood my head with those pictures. And I, here's my hope. I know it sounds a little bit strange, but stay with me. I think I can get the images of these pictures to go through my mind and actually fill my stomach. All right, so let's just, let's just see this, this first picture. Just silence, please. That looks good. Uh, that looks like a good cheeseburger. I don't know if you guys like cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers are one of my things. So just look at this. I literally, my brain is just, it's, it's on this cheeseburger. It didn't work though. Let's go to this, this next slide. I skipped pizza tonight. And I, I love, is it Papa John's or is it Domino's? Which one do we eat tonight? Papa John's is one of my favorites. Both are one of my favorites. I'm looking. I know this seems a little strange, but I do think it's possible. Maybe we do one more picture. I, maybe one more. If you know me, you know donuts are my weakness. I'll eat two or three on a Sunday morning. Let me just, for a second here, let me just look at this. It's not working. Did anyone, I honestly thought there was a shot that would work. By, by flooding my, my head with these images, with this, with this information, of food, I thought it might could cure my hunger tonight, but I guess I was wrong. And obviously, I've made an obvious fool of myself tonight, but I'm willing on this stage to make an obvious fool of myself tonight to point you to this reality. Just like filling my head with pictures of images does not cure the hunger in my stomach, filling my head with the knowledge of God does not feel the desires for God in my heart. Or we could put it like this. In fact, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, our text tonight, this is going to be our main point. The head doesn't matter if the heart's not full. I got a full head of pictures right now of food. And now I'm more hungry. But you know what? I still got a, I got a growl in my stomach. I'm not full. And just like we can't fill our mind with the Bible, fill our mind with theology, that's not enough. A full head doesn't matter if our hearts are empty. The head doesn't matter if the heart's not full. Stand with me. We're going to read Revelation 2 tonight, 1 through 7. We'll stand. I know we haven't been doing it in the past couple of weeks, but we'll stand out of reverence for the word of God. We're going to read the whole thing, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. I want to remind you, this is the word of God. And it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that just the initial illustration of filling my mind with images did not affect my hunger. I pray that we're already beginning to connect the dots. That we can know our Bibles, we can know all the Sunday school answers, we can know you. But if we don't love you, our knowledge is not serving its purpose. The head doesn't matter if the heart's not full. So God, I pray that that through your word tonight, you would give us full heads that lead us to full hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What we're going to see tonight is we're going to see Jesus do two things. First, he's going to commend his church. Commend, that means to praise. He's going to celebrate his church. Second... We'll see this later. He's going to correct his church. But before we we get into all that, I do think we just got to review a little bit of what happened back in chapter 1, just in case anyone missed it, because chapter 1 is pivotal in the book of Revelation. So I want you to remember back to me. In fact, you can look back to me to verses 1 through 3, where we saw God the Father give a revelation to Jesus who then sent an angel to symbolically communicate that revelation to John, who faithfully bore witness to everything he saw, who wrote it down so that it could make its way all the the way to its primary audience, which is you and me, the church. And though this revelation is to you and me, we saw in verse 4 that the first recipients of this revelation were the seven churches that were in Asia. And in verse 11, you can see who those seven churches were. We got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so that's where we pick up here in chapter Two, Jesus has just told John to write down everything he sees and send it to those seven original churches in Asia. And Jesus is going to start here by addressing these seven churches through seven short letters. So if you ever read like Ephesians, Galatians, those epistles that, that Paul generally writes to a church, we're going to get seven, though, seven of those over the next seven weeks that Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia. And the first of these letters is the subject of our text tonight in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, and it's addressed to the church in Ephesus. So go ahead and look back with me to Revelation 2.1, the text, our text tonight, it begins like this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, that's the church, 
Write these words. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, I debated kind of all week on how much background to give you on Ephesus. I'm just going to give you two, two points that I think are key for you to know about Ephesus. Because tonight we're talking about the, the letter that Jesus wrote to Ephesus. So first thing, Ephesus is a really big city. Okay, uh, there's around 250,000 people in this city at this time, which in the first century is enormous. It's almost like it's almost like a New York City of the United States. It's huge. Second, and I think way more importantly for us tonight, Ephesus was a city that was absolutely full of false gods and false worship, just like most big cities today, right? You couldn't turn a corner in Ephesus without seeing a temple that was dedicated to a false god. In fact, we saw last week that they even had a Roman emperor whose name was Domitian who demanded that people call him master and god. So there's idolatry, there's sin everywhere you look. And yet in that big city, full of false worship, full of false gods, there's a church. It's the church in Ephesus. And Jesus is addressing them here in this first letter. And I love this letter. So let's go ahead and start it. Starting in verse 2, Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your works. I know your works. You know, I've been studying this text all week long, all summer long. And I think it's, it's very possible that some of you tonight may have forgotten this reality. Verse 2, that Jesus knows your works. That was true of Ephesus, and that's true of us. Very practically, what this means is that, hey, tonight, if you have any secrets... Tonight, if you have any hidden sin, if you have anything in your head tonight or in your heart tonight that you're hoping, you're praying no one else knows about or figures out, I'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you this, but it's actually not secret. It's actually not hidden, and it actually is known. Because according to Jesus, in verse 2, he knows your works. He sees your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you do when all the lights are off and you think no one else is around. Jesus is there. He knows what you really think of him. He knows what you really think of his people. And the reality is there's nothing you've done that he is not fully aware of tonight. And there's nothing you'll do that he does not know you will do. He knows your works, the good and the bad. It's like all your works are written in a book and Jesus has read every single page. And listen, I don't know what kind of reaction that produces inside of you tonight. I'm just going to be honest, if you're an unbeliever... It should probably fill you with fear. It should probably produce a great amount of fear in you. Because the reality is, is everything you've ever done is laid out before Jesus. And unfortunately for you, none of those things are good. 
because you're a sinner. And yet you can't hide a single thing from him. It's a little bit terrifying if you're an unbeliever. But if you're a believer here tonight, I don't think this reality that Jesus knows all our works is necessarily meant to produce fear in us. I've been reflecting on this for a week now. And when I read that first line, that Jesus knows our works, to be totally transparent with you guys, I'm not sure I initially really loved that. And it's not because I feel like I have anything to hide that I don't want Jesus to know about. I don't think that's it. I think it has a lot more to do with the idea that I have been conditioned, and I think you have probably been conditioned for most of our lives to misunderstand the heart of Jesus Christ. You see, see, from your age, I think I've been conditioned to almost be afraid of Jesus. To think that, you know, he's watching me. And as he's watching me, he's not just watching me, he's watching me like this. He's looking at me, and he's just shaking his head. 24-7. That's how I've been conditioned to think about this verse. And so when I read that Jesus knows our works... I think I got some initial hesitation to really rejoice in that. Listen, maybe it's just me that needs to be reminded of this tonight, so be it. But I think I really got to stress this point to us believers. Yes, Jesus knows our works. He sees them all. Nothing can be hidden from him. However, if we're really in Christ... I think the way Jesus sees our works may be, in fact, definitely is a lot different than what many of us have been conditioned to actually think. And to help you understand this, because I think it's crucial, I'm going to put it like this. I'm going to give you an illustration. I think the way Jesus watches us, the way Jesus sees us, the way Jesus knows us, if we're believers is much less like an angry cop and much more like a loving big brother. And so let me, just, let me just explain this reality because, of course, what I mean, all due respect, I respect police officers. We have many that belong to our local uh, church body. Just love them to death. But let's just be honest here. You be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. You're driving down the road and you see a cop. What's the first thing you do? Tap your brakes. You tap your brakes. If you're a normal human being, you tap your brakes. If you're Chase, you probably slam on your brakes. And here's what's crazy about me slamming on my brakes. I promise, many of you have ridden with me, I try my best to drive the speed limit. I really do. And I usually do a pretty good job. Yet even if I know I'm driving the speed limit, when I see a cop, when, he, when I come upon him, it does not matter. I cannot help it. I instinctively, I'm conditioned to tap my brakes, to hit my brakes, to slam my brakes. And here's why. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm conditioned to believe that that police officer, he's watching me. And as he's watching me, he's evaluating me. He's critiquing me. He's watching my every move, and he's making sure that I don't fall out of line, that I, that I perfectly obey the law. And if I happen to break that law, he's going to be quick and happy to pull me over and write me a ticket like I deserve. And so I can't help it. When I see a cop, I tense up. I get afraid, and I try my best to be perfect. I grit my teeth. 
I try to obey the law. Now, please hear me say again, this is just an analogy. I love our police officers. However, that is not how Jesus looks at us. Yes, he knows our work. But he's not watching us like an angry cop. He knows our work. He sees us. He's watching us like a loving big brother. And what I mean by this is that Jesus, he isn't parked on the side of the road somewhere with a radar gun, seeing how fast you're driving, evaluating you, critiquing you, and ready to give you a ticket. He just can't wait to give you a ticket. He can't wait for you to mess up. That's not Jesus. He's not on the side of the road with a radar gun. He's inside the car. He's in the front seat with you. He is inside the vehicle with you. And I promise you this. He wants your vehicle to get to its final destination more than you do. And so the point I'm trying to make with this illustration is that Jesus is not watching us with a condescending and critical eye. That's not Jesus. He's not just waiting for us to mess up so he can judge us. No, he's watching us with a compassionate eye. If you don't believe me, like look back in chapter 1 to verse 5. He says he loves us. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. So yes, he knows all your works, the good works, the bad works. But that is actually, if you're a believer, good news for you. Because he loves you. So when we mess up, in this side of heaven, we will mess up. Jesus isn't ready to pull you over and give you a ticket. Now, when you mess up, he is ready to give you a big hug and to get you back on the path that you ought to be walking down. He's the big brother who loves to encourage you, who loves to love you. He's not annoyed with you. He's in love with you. So if you are in Christ tonight, I don't think we're meant to, to fear this reality that Jesus knows our works. And maybe it's just me, but, but we got to remember tonight that Jesus does not hate us. He loves us. He's not grumpy with us. He is happy with us. Maybe this is a big one just just for me. I don't know. But he is not annoyed that he had to die on a cross for you. He's not at the right-hand throne of God shaking his head at you. He is ecstatic that you are a part of his family tonight. Do not forget that he's a good God. He's a good brother, and you do not have to be afraid of him. So maybe this is just me, but I feel like many of you need to hear this tonight, that if you're in Christ, Christ is looking upon you favorably. He's for you. He's with you. He loves you. And because because he's for you, instead of critiquing you, what you're actually going to see tonight is he wants to commend you. He wants to praise you. He wants to celebrate you for some things that you're doing tonight that he thinks is really good. If you think that the Bible is just a big book of God slapping your wrist and telling you not to do things, tonight's going to blow your mind because he's not going to do that. We're going to get into something. He's going to correct the Ephesus church, but he he, he spends most of the letter commending them. Tonight in this letter, that's what we're going to see. He's going to commend his church. Revelation 2, 2 through 3 says, I know your works. And then he says this, your toil." And your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. 
And so, and so first, Jesus tells the Ephesus church, hey, I know your works. And that, that may strike fear in some of them. But then he goes on to list a bunch of things, three things in particular, that they're actually doing a good job at. Would anyone like that tonight? For Jesus to look at you in the eyes and say, hey, Chase, you're doing a good job. Have you ever been around those people who are just constantly nitpicking you? You can't do anything right? Forget about it. That's not Jesus. And so he's going to commend the Ephesus church tonight, and I think he's going to commend many of us tonight. First, he's going to commend them for the way they're toiling. For the way they're toiling. That's what the ESV says. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Just in case you don't know what that means, to toil, it simply means to work hard. So Jesus is commending them for working hard. So the idea is is these Ephesians, they're serving in the church. They're evangelizing their neighbors. They're preaching God's word. They're working hard at their faith. Listen, I think we have people tonight who I know if Jesus walked through this door, he would commend you. He would give you a big hug and he would praise you for your hard work. So it's cool, I call it a, a couple groups of people. I, I, think we got, I think we got small group leaders here tonight who toil, who work their tail off on the campus, in their job, here at Impact, serving and loving people. And I see it. And I, just, I know like, this is a message to students. I get it. I just want to know if you're, if you're a, a young adult in this, if you're a college student here, you're a small group leader, I see your toil. Jesus commends you for that. The second group of people that I I think ought to be recognized is you students, particularly you students who I know are in your schools, in your locker rooms, in your homes, zealously living out your faith and sharing the gospel with the people around you. I just want you to know, you may not get praised by anyone else. You don't have to. Because tonight, if that's you, if you're toiling, students, Jesus commends you. Man, how good does that feel? He commends you. And not to toot my horn, this is a little bit awkward, but but I just want you to know, because I've been thinking about this all week, we have a youth team here that, that works really, really hard. I work really, really hard. Maggie works really, really hard. We work with passion. We work with precision. Usually, you guys know this, I'm on stage, and by the end of this, I'm dripping in sweat. It's a little bit gross. You never say anything about me. I appreciate that. Maybe you do, but I'm a bet. That's fine. But the reason is because I'm so passionate about God's word. I'm passionate about you students, and I work hard for this ministry. I pour my life into this ministry, and that matters to me because I'm reading a text that says, I commend you for your toil. I'm praising you. I'm celebrating you for working hard. Can we feel that tonight? So if that's any of you, if you, if you fall into this category, hear me say this. I, I know you got to hear this. If you're toiling for Jesus tonight, if you're working hard for Jesus tonight, he sees it. He sees your hard work, and he's not evaluating you with a critical eye, asking why you're not working a little bit harder. He's looking at you like a big brother with love and he's watching you with compassion and he cares about you and he's commending you tonight for toiling. I know you think maybe no one else noticed how hard you're working, but there's one who does and his name is Jesus and he's the only one that matters. Second, 
Jesus commends the Ephesians for patiently enduring. He says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So we got to remember here that, that the world these Ephesians are living in is extremely hostile to the Christian faith. It's not a fun place to live. It would have been so easy for them to give in to the world around them or just flat out give up. Easy. And yet here they are, and Jesus says, I see you patiently enduring, and I commend you for it. I celebrate you for it. So let's just be honest with ourselves. We do not, by any means, live in a world that is even close to as difficult as the ones these first century Christians lived in. Let's not get that twisted. However, let's also be honest, the world we live in, because it's marred by sin, is still very, very difficult at times, particularly if we're Christians. And that's who Jesus is talking about tonight. And so if you're a Christian, hear Jesus. If you are patiently enduring in your faith tonight, despite maybe the mockery at school, despite maybe the opposition in your locker room, despite maybe the awkwardness that you feel at home as you live for Christ and maybe the people around you are not, despite the suffering you're going through, hear this. He is commending you for your patient endurance tonight. You ought to feel your big brother Jesus coming up to you tonight, giving you a big hug and saying, hey man, I know it's hard, you got to keep going. I know it's difficult, but you can't give up. I see everything you're going through. And I promise if you continue to patiently endure, it will all be worth it in the end. So just keep on. Students, don't you grow weary. I get it. In student ministry, we get really passionate. And we have seasons of up and down and up and down. Don't grow weary of following Jesus Christ. Patiently endure. Suffer well because he sees your works. He loves you. So just keep on going. Third, Jesus commends the Ephesians for their commitment to good theology. I just personally love this one. This is what he says. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. In other words, Jesus is commending the Ephesian church for calling out false teaching. And if you skip down to verse 6 in Revelation, he says, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, not a lot of, uh, is known about these Nicolaitans except that they were obviously a group of people caught up in false teaching. And I don't think we have to go much further than that because the point is, is these Ephesians refuse to tolerate their false teaching. And so Jesus writes a letter to them and says, hey, good job, I commend you, you're a theologically rich church. They know their stuff. They're loving their Bibles. They're committed to sound teaching, to good theology, to good doctrine. It blows my mind how churches everywhere don't want to be known for this thing, to be theologically sound. I can tell you this for certain. Our church, Hardin Baptist Church, and this student ministry, Hardin Student Ministries, desires to be known for being theologically sound. 
for having good theology. And so hear me when I say that I'm not trying to slight any other youth ministry. If you know me, you know that's not my heart. But I believe this to be true with all my heart. I don't think you or I or anyone could find another youth ministry that is as committed to the teaching and preaching of God's word, to sound theological doctrine as this one right here. And just so you know, I'm totally not boasting at all because this did not begin with me. There were men and women long before me who set this standard. And this has been a standard for our ministry for a long time time now. Good theology, sound doctrine, theologically sound. And not to go on a, on a rabbit trail, but because this is what we stand on, because this is what we believe we're known for, what we want to be known for, this could mean this. It could mean that it's possible that we aren't for you. And what I simply mean by this is this. If you desire games, gimmicks, and giveaways, more than you desire God's word preached and prioritized, it's possible that you may be at the wrong place. I hope you know, like we did, like Nathan does a great job We love to have fun. We love to play games. We're up here, and Nathan does gimmicks. I did a gimmick in my introduction. We do giveaways from time to time, but there's absolutely nothing we love more than opening up the Bible, opening up God's Word, and immersing ourselves in it. That's what we do here. That's what we're known for. That's what we care about. And here's the really, really cool thing. Here's why I know I can say that. The more and more and more we're open and honest about this, the more and more and more we lean into this as our identity, a theologically rich and Bible-saturated student ministry, the more you come, the more this student ministry grows. I think here's why. I think we finally come to a place where teenagers... So I'm talking to you. Teenagers are absolutely fed up and tired and over youth ministries that look a lot more like a babysitting service than a worship service. Because what I see when I look into the the, look out in the point tonight, when I communicate with you guys, is, is I see people who want to be challenged, not treated like children. I see people who want passion not apathy. I see people who want God, not games, not gimmicks, not giveaway. I see people tonight who want Christ crucified, not Christ minimized. I see people who want the gospel. I'm looking at a bunch of teenagers and preteens tonight who I think want to be like the Ephesians in this way. You want to be theologically rich, You want to know your Bibles. You want youth pastors who will preach the Bible. You want to distance yourself from false teaching and from shallow teaching. It's not just me who would commend you for this tonight. Someone way more important would commend you for that tonight. His name is Jesus. 
He is commending you teenagers who are absolutely committed to good theology, to his word. He loves it. So I got news for you. We won't stop. But here's what we got to warn you about tonight. Here's what I have to warn you about tonight. Here's what I have to warn myself about tonight. Here's what I got to warn us about tonight as a student ministry. These Ephesians were commended by Jesus for their commitment to good theology, but the letter's not done. Because after commending his church in verses 2 and 3, now he's going to correct his church in verses 4 and 5. So go ahead and look at Revelation 2, 4 with me. Jesus says, but. So after all this praise, all this celebration, but, Revelation 2, 4, this I have against you. So can you just imagine for a second Jesus showing up here tonight and saying, hey guys, like, wow, you're, you're doing a really good job at a lot of stuff. You're toiling, you're patiently enduring, you're teaching good doctrine, but this I have against you. I don't know about you, but I would never want Jesus to say that to me or you or us. So we best carefully heed what he says next. Revelation 2.4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So you see, the problem in Ephesus was that, yes, they were committed to good theology, and that's a good thing. Their minds were full, but their hearts were empty. And so after commending his church, Jesus then turns in verse 4 to correcting his church. He says, you've abandoned the love you had at first. And so the idea is they were so consumed with filling their heads with good theology that they apparently forgot about their hearts. And they were a lot like me in the beginning of this message. Full heads, empty stomach. They had full heads, empty heart. Because good theology, yeah, it's manufactured in the head. But love is manufactured in the heart. And don't miss this. The whole point of good theology, the whole point of filling your head with knowledge of God is so that you would in turn love. We fill our heads so that we can fill our hearts with love. Maybe, maybe I can say it like this just in case you don't understand yet. This means that how much you know about God, how much you know about God's word, that's not going to get you into heaven. You can memorize the Bible. You can answer all the questions. What counts is, is what you've come to love about what you know about God and his word. So tonight, if you have a head full of knowledge, but you have a heart empty of love, then what you know is not serving its purpose. I think there's a lot of ways we can look at this church, this Ephesians church, and we can think we'd maybe like to be like them, but we better heed this warning. When our relationship with God and his church, with others, becomes more of a discipline of our minds than affections in our hearts, we have completely fallen out of touch with reality and what we're supposed to be doing. Tonight, if you can quote John 3.16 to me, but you don't love the God who wrote and spoke John 3.16, that's not good. Because good theology is more than just a head full of knowledge. Good theology is meant to lead us into great love. So these Ephesians, they'd abandoned the love they had at first. Now, now, this probably meant they abandoned their love for Christ and they abandoned their love for one another. 
is let me just ask this. How many of you know all about your Bibles tonight, but it's not changing the way you love people? How many of you tonight, or you're sitting through Revelation, you really like it, but you'll show up to school tomorrow and it has no bearing on how you treat your classmate in your math class? I'll just leave it at this. It's so upsetting to me the way I hear many professing Christians talk about certain people who don't look like them, who don't act like them, who don't vote like them, who don't think like them. Your theology should be changing the way you treat people, changing the way you love people. And I wore this shirt tonight for a reason. If you can't read it, it says, Jesus was a refugee. And I'll just say this. I am completely ashamed and embarrassed of the way I thought about refugees and people like them who were different than me before I met Jesus. Completely ashamed. But now, Jesus has changed my heart. He has changed everything. He has completely changed the way I love him and the way I love the people who are not me. the way I love you, the way I love people. Since there's so much more to Christianity than knowledge, it is primarily a religion of love. We love God and we love people. And so what this means is that good theology is not an end to itself. Good theology is a means to an end, and that end is to help us love. The Ephesians is great theology, but they abandoned their love. And so that's why we got to hurry here. Jesus tells them in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We must repent tonight of any heartless theology that we may have. If you love knowing God more than you love loving God tonight, that is a big problem. And Jesus says, you need to repent. If you love knowing the Bible, if you love knowing what the Bible says more than about loving people, that's a problem tonight. And Jesus says, you need to repent. We want both. We want full heads and full hearts. It does not have to be either or. And Jesus says it can't be. And he says this in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm out of time. But what this means is that the Ephesians could either continue in their pursuit of heartless theology and be cast away from Christ and be judged, or they could repent and become conquerors and eat from the tree of life. To keep it simple, that's what this means. To eat from the tree of life is its symbolism that through trusting in Jesus, we can become conquerors of our sin and receive eternal life and get to spend forever with God in paradise, in heaven, on the new heaven and new earth. And so in closing, that eternal life tonight, I just want you to hear this. It is completely dependent upon you and me doing a couple of things. Here's two quick ways we got to respond to this, this text tonight. First, we have to fill our hearts with good theology. You have to. Good theology matters. But good theology isn't enough. Second, we must fill our hearts with great love. We must trust in Jesus. We must love Jesus based on what we know about Jesus. That's what gets you into heaven. That's what gives you a relationship with God. Your trust in Jesus. 
what you know to be true about God and his word has to lead you to love God and to love people. Otherwise, it does not matter. So are you full tonight? If you're hungry, would you fill your head with pictures of food or would you go eat some food? Would you have a full head and a full stomach? Just like the head doesn't matter if the stomach's not full, neither does the head matter if the heart's not full. So, this week and every day, let's saturate our heads with good theology. And let that good theology transform our hearts towards great love. Loving Christ and loving people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. God, we pray that we would be a student ministry that is consumed with your word, passionate about your word, loves your word, knows your word. But God, we pray in this moment that we would not be a student ministry who has full heads and empty hearts. God, would you take by your spirit everything we know to be true about you and your word, even this text in Revelation, and would you let it fill our hearts so that we may love you and love your people. So in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.